You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, I'm very excited that we get to have a repeat guest today. We have done it a couple times and it's always something where people have listened to the episodes and especially us sitting down even while doing them. We know that we need to have someone back to keep learning from them. So I'll let you go ahead and introduce or reintroduce Sean to the listeners. Very excited, Sean. I'm very excited to have you back. And the exciting topic that we discussed last time, it was sort of about the culture and the lack thereof in the veterinary domain and how the disparate teams and you know the communication issues. So I really appreciate that I was listening to that this morning. And I wanted to take it next step. And you know, and I think that the instruments that you applied in Pathway are very much connecting that process and culture. So I wanted to talk about the process and every consolidator that we seen, it's a plane that you build while flying. It's mm-hmm. just such a fast uh, organization to be built. So how do you scale the process? How do you establish the process? What instruments you use? And then how do you loop it back into culture? So you asked how process and culture kind of intertwine and how that happened at Pathway Veterinary Alliance. And so as you remember from the last podcast, I talked a lot about the resistance I got from employees over simple instructions, simple things. And it occurred to me that Process wasn't the original problem, and veterinary medicine has always tried to put in place process, but they failed miserably, I think, in the last 40 or 50 years because there were not cultural or strategic reasons for the process. In other words, the big process sounds like one of these HR big company things that we have to do. And when people in veterinary medicine hear the word process, what they think is a man is going to tell me how to do my job. Woman's going to tell me how to do my job. And there's this genuflect response of, I'm not doing this, we know how to do it, et cetera. And so we came at it the back way around, which is when people started to talk about cultural issues in the practice, most of them were around conflict. Okay, so our bad culture is because we don't handle conflict well. And then we look at where does the conflict come into play? Almost always outside of just normal interpersonal squabbling, almost always the conflict was around what is the right way to do something? What's the wrong way to do something? How long does it take to do this? Should it take two people? Should it take five people? Who should be involved in this? And historically in veterinary medicine, veterinarians have called the shots in all of that. And veterinarians, while really usually pretty keen on process for other people, are not keen on process for themselves because they're entrepreneurs at heart. And what they firmly believe is that I know how to do it better than everybody else. And it's not out of arrogance that they come by that. If you've read Gina Whitman's book, Traction, he talks about how all entrepreneurs suffer from this curse of, I had to build the business from the ground up. I had to do everything myself. And therefore, they rightfully own the mantle of, I know how to run this place from the ground up. What they fail to realize is that they they never studied scalability. And they never, until they get into veterinary practice, have never, and it's not going to be popular to people that aren't veterinarians, but I think it's the truth. They've never worked with people who have less intellect than they do and with people that have less life experience in systems and process. So most veterinarians come out of process systems, whether it's the university where you get scored and measured, and if you don't measure up, you're asked to leave or you're made to go somewhere else. The vast majority of our paraprofessional employees come from home settings into the workplace. And the word process and accountability is just stuff that babysitters say to them to keep them accountable. 
So we needed a way to talk about how we get things done without causing fights. That was shocking to me because I was not used to, I wasn't used to working in an environment where people fought over and not fought over the right way or the wrong way, but interpersonally, emotionally had reactions to things. And that, and this is what I always say to veterinarians, if you don't put process in place, you will have emotional outbursts instead. And so when we would do SWOT analysis with the employees, you all know what that is, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, problems, and threat, or strength. And almost always what would come up is double standards. We don't know what the rules are. The rules change from day to day. One day we charge for this, the next day we don't. One day the doctor's pissed off because we didn't wrap the packs right. The next doctor comes along and says, ah, wrap them however you want. So there were all of these mixed messages around what is processed and what is good. So what we could all agree upon was that we wanted good or excellent medicine. What we could all agree upon was that we wanted a workplace where people weren't bitchy and didn't complain to one another. And what we all could agree upon was we wanted an opportunity for people to be able to move forward, not only academically, intellectually, but hopefully financially too in the practice, which all equaled kind of good medicine. And so to start with, back to the culture piece, we, and this is the message for entrepreneurs, you must train yourself and other people on how to communicate directly, <laughs> eliminating triangulated communication, and work with people on the team who don't have the internal fortitude to manage what is normal workplace conflict. And normal workplace conflict is, I sometimes think that you're wrong, and you sometimes think that I'm wrong. But we are mature enough to be able to talk about it in a way that doesn't set people off, and to depersonalize it. Now that's all the cultural stuff I talked about last time. If we can get there, we make these huge jumps in productivity and we make these huge jumps in profitability because gone is the focus on self. And with process focus, what happens is we return to doing things the way the clients want them and they respond to that. So for us to make our employees buy into the idea that process was not the man or woman telling them what to do, we had to convince them that process was the answer to all the things that bothered them. Because process wasn't what bothered them because in their hearts, they knew that they knew how to do this. Their real problem was the other person doesn't know how to do it, or this person does it differently, or they all saw it from a different angle. So getting everybody together and helping them understand what the main priorities are in the practice. In other words, what the employees create, it's hard for them to resist. <laughs> And when you're managing people that need psychological paychecks at work, which is what we have to put up with in veterinary medicine, because we certainly don't pay enough for people to get their psychiatric needs, needs met somewhere else, it's got to be a comfortable place. And for that to happen, people have to feel like they have some input in say. So when you have 22 people on a team and 20 out of 22 people say, my biggest problem is we scream at each other at busy times of the day. Now there's some buy-in to what are we going to do to fix that? Because I can keep coming back to, but you said you were tired of this. This is So giving them reasons why you have to follow one, two, and three steps and not doing it your own way. And the reason is you said you wanted to eliminate X and a frustration. When that occurs, you have several teaching moments because whenever you try and implement a process in a hospital or I would assume in a restaurant or wherever, you're going to have six weeks of literal and quantifiable resistance to that process. The resistance comes up in many forms, fear, because I just don't know something new. This won't work this way. I'm going to be found out as not competent. Other people will laugh at me if I don't do it right. I just don't like change. I mean, some people, it's called eustress. 
when you get different than distress, Bridezilla happens because we're excited about getting married. You know, people break down at the closing table when they buy a house for the first time because the stress of doing something that great kind of overwhelms them. You can have stress even in a good environment. And that stress can derode your ability to perform. And so I often would talk to the staff about what kind of responses are you getting back from the clients about our current processes? And inevitably, employees would say, our clients love us. True. And I told you in our last podcast that the deal we made with the public until recently is we will provide you with absolute shitty, inconsistent service every single day. (laughs) But in return, we will love you more than your family does. We'll love you more than your pet does. And we'll give you shit for free. And that became kind of how we manage process of a veterinary hospital. And the results are where we are today, which is we can't find enough people. Nobody's happy at work. It's distressing. People need, like dogs need and children need, people need structure at work. Entrepreneurs are a very rare breed of people that can just get up every day and create what they want to create. There's a certain kind of somebody that does that. And it's not 90% of the population. They need structure. And it's our job to provide that for them. And what I would say to my employees all the time is, you are an excellent nurse, you are an excellent doctor, but you don't know jack about structure. And confronting the elephant in the room, which is, if you can't get off your high horse about you know everything and everybody else knows nothing, then this isn't going to work. And we go back to the value of, because the core value, if you ask in a veterinary hospital, what are your core values, you know, buzzword from the 90s and early aughts, they're going to say unity, compassion, respect, teamwork. Okay, well, so how is this teamwork when you butt up against each other or when five CSRs check somebody else out a different way every single time? It's not teamwork. So appealing to their emotions and values as the reason for paying attention to this strategic thrust, because in their mind, it has nothing to do with animals. (laughs) And then you get some performance because you track and you measure all of that and you start to see that was a couple of tweaks, you can bring your drug and supply costs down dramatically. With a couple of tweaks, you can change your labor numbers dramatically. With a couple of tweaks, you can change your staffing, if you will, to be more effective. And so winning or doing right or doing better gives people confidence to try it again. So what we did is all we would do is look at the top five problems in their practice as identified by them. And again, off the top of my head, I can tell you that 90% of veterinary hospitals have the same top five problems. They're going to be some form of, we don't monitor or understand our finances very well. We don't have control of the flow of our day. It seems like sometimes the day takes us over instead of us dictating the day. We do not understand HR. We hate HR. We think that any kind of people problems are HR related and they should just go away. I'd rather be in denial. Like there's something wrong with our business if we have to deal with HR issues. That comes up over and over again. And then lack of advancement, lack of financial stability for the employees is one thing that comes up. And then quality of life. And you can throw that into any blender that you want, but the mix of how to work. Those things come up over and over and over again. And so we would look at those and say, through the coaching of attraction, which we call pathway planning, We would look at that and say, all right, we can't tackle the whole business at once, which is the mistake that most entrepreneurs make, which is, I know I have a lot of problems and there's so many of them that I just can't address them. So let's just survive for another year. And you do that at 10% EBITDA. And after six to 10 years, you're burnt out, you're resentful, you're angry. 
The truth is a business needs to reinvent itself every five years because just like our own personal lives, I don't know if you've noticed, you might not be old enough yet, but I've noticed that every five to seven years, other than my family, people transition in and out of my life. Every five to seven years, who might have been my best bud right now, maybe isn't my best bud right seven years ago. There's something to that flow of five to seven years that says, okay, I've mastered it. It takes 5,000 hours, which is about two years to become an expert at anything. So you master it and then you have to reinvent it. And the reinvention is continuous looking at operational problems, and I mean process problems, and fixing them. What is process? Process is how we get things done from A to B to C. What does it take quantifiably for me to check a client in? There should be three or four steps that are not missed. What does it take for me to intubate a patient? Uh, There should be six or seven steps, and you must follow all of these. What does it take for me to talk to a client about euthanasia of their pet? Well, there really should be three or four things that we touch on. And even though you might be giving the conversation or I'm giving the conversation with different personality, we have to touch on those three or four things. And what happens in veterinary medicine is everybody kind of does it how they want. And the client with good intentions, that's where we're all common. We have good intentions. But the client walks away with, if you don't have process, the client walks away with a completely different experience depending upon the day or the provider. I always say, imagine going to Starbucks or McDonald's or your local hotel or whatever. And depending on what server or person you get, you get a shitty room or you get a nice room. You know, you get a burger that's cooked or a burger that's raw. You get coffee that's hot when you ordered it cold and you get coffee that's cold when you ordered it hot. One or two of those kinds of experiences means you're not going back to that place again. You come to expect it. But in veterinary medicine, we just expect that people put up with that. And I think it's the primary reason that our clients complain about prices is there's not a direct correlation between what it costs and the service they're getting. There's only a correlation between what it costs and the outcome. And what you find in veterinary medicine after a $7,000 bill is even if the animal is well, if the process wasn't good, they're still resentful that they had to pay it. Just like you go to a fancy restaurant, in the end, you might get a great meal. It tasted good and everything was as advertised, but it took longer or the server was rude or you're resentful about having to pay for it, even though you got what you paid for. So process is getting them to understand that in the heat of the moment of delivery of service, combined with their own emotional intelligence competencies, that's where process often fails. So that's tying it back to EQ. It's not that you're not smart enough to do these things. It's proving to them that you get so overwhelmed in the heat of the moment that you're not thinking. You're just feeling and responding and trying to put out the fire of customer service instead of seeing the bigger picture. And how do we know that? Because we take customer surveys. We know that because our new client numbers drop. We know that because whatever. I mean, all the measurement of the P&L will tell you whether or not your efforts are effective. And so... Once there is buy-in to the idea that we have to do it right for the client, not we have to do it right because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do it right. That's the big cultural shift. We all agree that we want to serve the client. And if you ask any employee, they'll say, yes, we do. And when I ask that employee and they're not serving the client, I can look them in the eye and say, which will it be? Do you want to do it your way and feel comfortable? Or do you want to do it how we're supposed to do it and the client to be happy? And it's there where employees have to make choices. 
And what I say to people who embark down a process-oriented practice is you're going to lose 50 to 70% of your employees the first six months you try to implement this. Why? Because these people are so psychologically broken that they can't handle being told, go A, B, C, D, E. All of their self-esteem comes from knowing A, B, C, D, E and doing it how they want and being a star for the doctor. It doesn't come from being a team player who helps execute things. So like a professional sports team, if you're going to, Tom Brady might be the exception, but if you're going to win the Super Bowl multiple times, you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to have to build the whole team up and you're going to have to learn how to run some plays no matter what, what kind of star player you are. So process is how we check people in, how long it takes to be in the exam room. Like if you have a Q 30 minute appointment and it's going 45, 50 minutes, there's a process problem. Spays and neuters. If you ever time that in a veterinary hospital, it's shocking. Like one doctor can take two and a half hours and the animal will be under anesthesia for three hours and another doctor can do it in 15 minutes. And nobody talks about it. It's like, oh, I got slow doc today. That spay that we just charged $350 for, we lost $400 on with this doctor and we made $110 with this doctor. And process is the reason why. And what you have to say to a doctor is, if you can't do this in under 20 minutes, then you're not qualified to do this surgery in this hospital. Or I'm happy to charge them $790 for when you do surgery because you like to do it two hours longer. But tell it yourself. <laughs> if the client will pay $790 for your three hours of love, by all means do it. And the response is always, well, that's just stupid. And then what I get to say to them is, so you want me to pay for you to work slowly, is what you're saying to me. You want me to be responsible for your inability or unwillingness to improve your skill set. I'm not going to do it. We all agreed that this is what we're going to do to move the hospital forward. We did a preliminary analysis and found out that of the 70 spays and neuters we do a month, if we could decrease the time by 15 minutes for each one, we could fit in 100 spays and neuters in a month. That's the rationale and that's business. If you don't like that, then you still want to practice like mom and pop and that's perfectly fine. I'm happy to have you as a competitor. Go out and open a hospital right next to me and if you can outlove our process, then you deserve to win the war. But what I know is this was Back in the 90s when BCA first started, everybody said, oh God, corporate medicine is going to overtake, overtake veterinary medicine and it's all going to fall to shit. And I was among the people who said that might be true. And now I firmly believe that all that corporate medicine has done is taken advantage of the hole in the profession. That corporations wouldn't have come in here and scooped all this up if we were running our shit the way we were supposed to, because there would be nothing to improve. There wouldn't be a way for them to quantifiably make it better. And what most corporations know is that just through simple process, like measuring my P&L, watching my labor costs, watching my drug and supply costs, doing some basic training, doing some projections for business, doing some basic marketing and analysis of customers' needs, all of that stuff is the difference between 10% EBITDA and 15% EBITDA. And then you add the EQ communication component on top of it, and now you get to that lovely 20% EBITDA mark. And most consolidators have great faith in the fact that they can turn a 10% practice into a 20% practice in a matter of two to three years. And they can, and they do. And that's why everybody's rushing to buy them in the hospital. So there's a broad overview of process, but maybe now we can get down in the weeds a little bit more with it. There's a lot of weeds. So <laughs> I would love to get done to all of them. I keep writing down things. 
So maybe at a very high level, I mean, I agree with every word you said there. And then uh, I would though argue that the consolidators do because at Pathway, you may have done it, but I've seen it over and over and over when you add, you know, 10, 20, 30 practices, then you look back as many do and go, oh shit, what do we do with these now when they didn't plan like you guys did? The interesting thing is that I love how you convert their opinion and their understanding of the problem into a solution, and then it becomes a process. And I took the M&A course, and it was an interesting thing. We were working with the professor. It was at Harvard. So the professor was like the guy who was like doing airline mergers and like to mass and not vet clinic. Like there was like you know 18,000 people merging with 11,000 people. Go figure that one out. And he actually said that when people say about culture, they actually say process. When you merge two cultures, like how do you do stuff here? How do you do stuff here? How do you do stuff here? You pick one of the better ways and then you merge that one into another one. It was another interesting thing that they talked about. It's not always like you're an acquirer, you're, you know, you're being acquired and then all the processes move over. You actually kind of cross check the synergies and then you add them together. So that was interesting to me because he actually used the word culture for the, what you described as a process. But now I love the approach of saying, okay, what are our problems? Let's articulate them and let's fix them and let's make it consistent. How do you do that at scale? Because I know I, I can see how you can walk into the hospital and then when you walk out 20 minutes later, they're going to at least think about different something differently. How did you do it in pathway at scale? What is that division in a consolidator that, because when you're building it, you know, your PE is looking at your corporate overhead and they're saying, okay, you have to be under a certain percentage of corporate overhead. And when you go and talk about, okay, we need to build inventory management, we need to build HR department, finance, you know, all the bean counters, which is, you know, tens of them there and then you go in and say now we need a cultural department to convert the culture how do you sell it to your board how do you actually do that and how do you do it at scale the culture department how we scale that and again well, let me preface this with i think now pathway is probably not the best example of the way that we began to scale because we've had to change what we noticed is once we got over about 200 practices the way that we, and there's like 600 now. So the way that we were scaling did have to change, but let me address the, because I doubt there's going to be a lot of consolidators that get to over 200 practices. And when you get to that size, you now have Morgan Stanley, or you've got IMG Canuba or Mars, or whomever who is saying, there are some things that we have to dictate. And let me be very clear that putting together processes that must be followed by all in the admin department is very different than putting processes together that must be followed by all on the front lines in the hospital. The behind the scenes stuff, you won't get as much resistance because it's basically corporate kinds of employees who understand innately that that is their job. The resistance comes from frontline care providers. And so how do we scale that? What we said to them was, I don't care how you get to this place as long as it's legal and ethical. And I don't care what you do to get to this place as long as it's legal and ethical, but I do care about the why. The why has to be process-driven and values-driven. So you as a hospital, an individual hospital, and we trained our managers and our medical directors in this way, and we gave them the tools for doing what we call pathway planning, which was a system of quarterly meetings and bi-monthly meetings whereby they identified essentially their mission, their vision, and their values, which you've all heard about. Every single hospital really wants ownership over that. And what we said was, well, here's the two values that Pathway has. So incorporate those values and add three of your own. 
that are unique to your little town in New Hampshire or your little town in South Carolina. What they didn't know was that almost every other hospital has the same values as they do. They just call it something a little bit different. So that right there allowed them to feel a little bit of ownership. And then they decide what their big problems are. Here's the mystery to those of you that are consolidators. Whatever your employees are working on is probably going to improve the bottom line because there's only two or three areas you can work on something in a veterinary hospital. The delivery of medicine, customer service, and expense management. That's really your three pots that you can work from. So I don't care if they choose marketing. That to me is some customer service and the delivery of medicine. So it's probably going to improve the bottom line some way, shape, or form. What you focus on, all management schools teach this, what you focus on and measure becomes better. And that's a universal truth, right? So I don't care what the employees came up with, they all, but what they almost always came up with was a drug and supply costs need to be better because I want to raise and that's where the money is. They always came up with, we need to communicate better because that's where we fall down on our process. Not that I didn't know how to check somebody out, but I forgot a step and the person next to me needs to remind me. In most veterinary cultures, that doesn't happen because people fight over situations like that. But you go to a hotel or a motel or a restaurant that's well run, and one server will tell the other server, no, that's not how we do it here. It's done this way because our customers expect that. Every person at the Ritz-Carlton says, good evening, ma'am, good evening, sir. They don't say, yo, what's up? Because they feel like it. That's their product, that's their culture, that's how they do it at the Ritz-Carlton. You decide what your Ritz-Carlton is, even if it's a Walmart, <laughs> but say it the way you're gonna say it and everybody has to do it. What they did was they would pick these top five problems, and they would come up with a list of literally 10 goals for the year that they would attack one or two big goals for each one of the big problems, right? And so we would look at that and go, okay, now these 10 problems, what can we do this quarter to eliminate these problems? And come up with one to five things that the whole hospital could work on, whether it's revamping this pamphlet or it's painting this room or it's adjusting our chart of accounts or new uniforms or whatever it is that came up. And every two weeks, the leadership team would meet and talk about, have we hit those goals? Have we not hit those goals? Just like you have team meetings if you're a coach. <laughs> and we didn't hit those goals. We did hit those goals. And then every quarter, we would get in front of the team for 45 minutes. That's all, just 45 minutes. And we would say, and this is scalable because the people on the ground are doing this. The medical director and the practice manager are doing this, and my management team is teaching them how. And through VGP, we have annual, four and five times a year, conferences and workshops that support this education. So employees can come back even after initial training and get more training. It's iterative learning. The more you learn about pathway planning, the better you get at it. The more you learn about communication, the better you get at it. And so we provided the infrastructure of training, but insisted that they hit these numbers. You must have... 18 to 20% EBITDA or more. Your labor costs have to be here. Your drug costs have to be here. And how you get there, I don't care. And that was the really big thing is most employees don't want to be dictated to. They really want some structure and then they want to be allowed to succeed or fail on their own merits until they fail. And then they want another chance. But the, the real deal with the culture is you've got to move those people on because their failure is not because they lack intellect ever. It's almost always because they lack the emotional intelligence to work in a team environment, or they're so steeped in being an entrepreneur that they can't let go and let other people do. And so we would say to people, you have three months is a picture, six months is a concern or a blessing, and nine months is a problem or a praise. 
And so after nine months, if your problems aren't starting to go away, now we, the management team, are going to step in and take over your pathway plan. So then we would send in a regional manager or a district manager, whatever the title was at that time, or we even had a hotline team, which were basically this practice is crashing and we need to send in these three or four management teams and we're gonna do their pathway plan for them. We're gonna get them back on track. We're gonna to start to hire and fire for them. So we, if you don't do this in nine months, we will come in and in three months, we will write the ship. That's the message that we give to all of our practices. You can do it your own way if you can do it. And if you can't do it, then we'll give you a chance to prove that and we'll come in and take over. So can I ask you about that? I apologize for, for interrupting you, but it's very interesting. You have your KPIs or metrics that you, you, you know, everybody agreed that that's where we want to be. And then you allow them to come up with the ways to get there by identifying the problems and they tackle them within the given period of time. Correct. And then if they don't, then you come in and help them. When your team comes in and help them, do they help them to deal with the problems that they identify or they go to the sort of ground zero? And we go back to ground zero. We go back to ground zero because what we assume is the problem, what we know is, what we assume going in is the problem is the leadership team on the ground. It's simple to follow the process. And we've given them a really, you know, the entrepreneurial operating system, which we call pathway planning, is really kind of bulletproof in terms of implementation. So if they cannot do that, we assume it's because they can't. Often it's really because they said, no, I still want to do it my way. I'm not going to stick to the discipline of meetings. I'm not going to have these conversations with employees. I'm not going to hold people accountable. And so what that tells us is you are not a good cultural fit for us because this is our culture. And so some practices we offloaded, we literally sold back to the owner and said, you can have it because if you're not going to, and they didn't make any money on that sale, mind you. So if you want it, you manage your own problem or, you know, Fine, we'll sell to another consolidator who thinks that they can manage this particular hospital. So either you go or you do it how we do it. I'm happy to say of the you know hundreds of practices that we've acquired, that's only happened to three practices where they've said, and they're all specialty emergency clinics. I could figure that up on that. <laughs> the processes, bigger egos, they refuse to submit. So they just say, screw you, and we'll do it our own way. And okay, fine, we'll part as friends because we can't make you do this. The thing with process is it has to be culture because no culture survives dictatorships or no culture survives this oligarchic kind of my way or the highway, especially with younger employees. That's getting worse and worse and worse. Collaborate, you know, I'm 58 years old. I was raised by baby generation or by the silent generation and baby boomers who said, shut up, do your job or I'll backhand you and be lucky you get a paycheck. And that's kind of, it's just stuck with me that way. If the boss talks, you do what you do. But younger employees are like, if the boss talks, I get to retort. My parents taught me I'm special and I'm unique. I will show you how unique I am. And so you have to go through those conversations with employees now, whether you like it or not. Just like 50 years ago, you could slap an employee on the ass. Now you can't do that. You can't slap an employee on the ass and tell them they're fat or they're short or they're ugly or any of the things, atrocious behaviors that happen in the workplace in the 50s and 60s. You just have to change. <laughs> that actually happened? <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, remember, I mean, you watch Mad Men. I mean, look at how they treated those women and, and, you know, just how they would treat anybody that was other than or men in general, how they treated, how they treated female veterinarians throughout the years. It just we had to adapt. And the same thing is happening now. People are, in veterinary medicine have to adapt to process. Or the answer is 
They can go to a small one doctor, two doctor mom and pop practice that will eventually be acquired anyway for pennies on the dollar because they refuse to do process. And so I don't fight with employees about how, if they don't like this culture. What we say is just go, just go. We're not even gonna fire you. We'll give you a good reference because you actually are a great nurse. You're a great doctor. You just don't wanna do it the way that everybody wants to do it, which is a sure sign that you should not be working in a large group of people. You should start your own thing. Well, that'll cost money and I don't have a risk tolerance. Then shut the hell up. And get back on the bus and do it how we ask you to do it because you can't have it both ways. Processes were literally things like everybody in the hospital must know how to check a person in. It goes like this. I, did I do that? I think I took you through that whole thing in my last podcast. That you, know, you spend, you walk out and you say hello to the client. You shake their hand. You give them your name. You escort them back to the exam room. That takes about three minutes. You sit them down in the exam room, tell them the doctor will be with them. The doctor has, you have 12 minutes with them as a nurse to get a history. The doctor has six minutes with them and that's all. And then you clean up and you take them to the front desk and you escort them where a successful financial conversation had and they booked the next appointment. That all happens in 30 minutes. A, if you can't do it in 30 minutes, you're not qualified. B, if you can't tell me what those five steps are, get the hell out of my practice. Like you can't be here. You have to at least understand that these are the five steps and this is what you must do. Every CSR, you can say it a different way. You can love them a different way, but you got to get these five steps in. And if you want to take nine minutes on the prelim and only three minutes with the doctor, that's fine, but you can only take 12 minutes. And so kind of drilling in that the result of this is an experience for the client that is consistent. And I keep telling my employees, but that's hard for me. You are not part of the equation. Like you are because you're here, but we're not measuring how easy this is for you. We're measuring what it does for the client. And by easy, what you mean is I could do it a way that's easier on me, not a way that's more efficient. Because if in their resistance, they tell me, and the process of pathway planning allows for this. Sean, that process of checking the client out in five steps, I think we can do it in four and we should eliminate the step. Amen, bring it on. Let's talk about that, how we can do that. Or Sean, we're really missing the mark here in our customer service. People are telling us we're getting treated like a number. We probably need to add a step of love and offer them a cup of coffee or something, but put something in there because we're coming across as too clinical. We are open to all of those kinds of suggestions but it has to be based on something that is quantifiable from the customer's experience, not from the employee's experience. Now, if the employee says, I can't do this fast enough, then that's a whole other issue. Okay, we need to add another person to the process. Now let's look at how much that costs to deliver this. And do you want to charge $129 for an emergency examination? We could do that instead of $99. But you know, when it goes over $100, people bitch a lot. So do you want to have that conversation? Well, maybe we'll just eliminate this step and stick to the $99. So it's that kind of collaboration that allowed us to scale. Once we got over 200 hospitals, what we learned is we can't have 200 hospitals doing different marketing. We can't have 200 hospitals having different pay rates. We can't have 200 hospitals who have a different chart of accounts, if you will, or a different drug and supply budget. So scalability comes in the form still of how you implement process and which processes you choose to look at. But the bigger you get, the more controls have to come from the top down and they have to be specific administrative infrastructure controls. 
where there's still room for scalability and diversion or individuality is with the medicine and the customer service and the marketing. Any front-facing thing, they can kind of do how they want to do. But at the end, we have to say, this is where you're going to buy this from. This is how much you're going to buy it for after we get past that certain size. Why? Because it was our administrative costs would have been too much to support the individuality of each one of those clinics. So there is a definite drop-off in entrepreneurial energy opportunities, <laughs> and we found after 200 units. But that's just veterinary medicine, and maybe we could find a way to do it better. We haven't, we're still sussing that all out. One of the ways we did look at cleaning it up a little bit is having processes for practices that do a million dollars a year or less versus processes that do one to three million and processes for practices that do three to five and then five million and over. Because oftentimes the $1 million practices were like, why do we have to do this step? But in a $5 million practice, it was really necessary to do that step. So we have cut out some of the processes for smaller practices and added to bigger and vice versa. And that's taken off some of the sting of corporate is telling me how to do it. But now we've had multiple, like, Five, six years now, seven years, God, it's been long. Seven years of practices that we brought along from the very beginning that get it. So they're our evangelists now. Our older practices go out and say, look, I'm still Westlake Animal Hospital. My clients still know my name. They don't call me Dr. Pathway. I'm still Dr. Sturgeon at Westlake Animal Hospital in Austin, Texas. The only difference is my PL now shows this instead of that. The only difference is we actually get rid of people now who don't perform and we work with a lesser staff. And I'll say that about process too. The beautiful thing about process is you can still serve your clients with lesser people and lesser resources. It just means you have to spread that out over a bigger time frame and only see maybe six clients in a day instead of 10 clients in a day. But the truth is your costs have gone down too because your labor costs aren't as high. So it's confronting the bullshit of, because entrepreneurs tend to just say when a problem comes up, I'm overwhelmed and let me revert back to what I can measure, which is medicine and wellness, instead of looking at it as a process problem. And that process does not, if I'm talking about process, does not mean that I have an issue with you as a human being. Your inability to do process does not mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that I hate you as an employee. It just means that we have to learn a new way of delivering the service. And some people don't want that and off they go. Yeah. What's really interesting that I learned a lot through Lean and through Kanban and what I've seen uh, in management is that when you're managing process, it's very easy to step away from people because people are afraid to being judged. But when you really manage the process, not people, which is one of the sort of, you know, principles of Kanban, then you're really not saying you're better or I'm better. We have a wrong process. We have a wrong definition of done, a wrong definition of ready. And then if we didn't define that together, let's go back and define it again. And then if someone is going out of line of process, you're like, okay, so should we change the process or should you change and comply with what we've designed? And it kind of takes it away from talking about people and how good or bad they are. Absolutely. And if you ask the question of people, where is this resistance coming from? I coach my managers that if we implement, we're going to charge X for this now. And you're going to get some pushback. So when they see somebody cheating and not charging it or being shy about it, I asked, coach them to pull them aside and say, where's this resistance coming from? Why do you not want to do this? And it is rare that they say, because I feel like we're ripping the client off. It's rare that they say, because I think it's not good medicine. It's almost always because they have an emotional discomfort. It just doesn't feel right. I don't feel safe doing it. It's uncomfortable for me. And so what I can say at that point is, 
you hear yourself. What you're saying is how you feel about this is more important to you than doing it the way we asked you to do it. I don't know how to manage that. <laughs> it's hard what to manage. What do you expect me to do with that? And they're right people. They look at me and just go, oh, shit, I've never looked at it like that. Like, yeah, come on. Can't we get past this? Like, you're having a feeling right now that this is scary. Why don't you just walk through it and see if you can do it? And then let's talk about the feeling afterwards. And guess what? Do you want to practice three or four times? Because we can do that. We can do some role playing. We can do all of, you know, people in veterinary hospitals probably all over the world eschew role playing, but it's one of the most effective tools for managing process ever. And that is you sit down in the back of the hospital and somebody plays the client and somebody plays the nurse and somebody plays the doctor and you walk through the processes. And just like acting on a stage or singing in front of people, the more times you do it, you get comfortable with the script, you are in command over your material and nothing. I never get thrown talking in front of an audience because I know my material so well that you can't throw me a curveball. I might get distracted and then go, oh, wait, we have to come back here. But when you don't know your material and you don't know your process, you're easily distracted. And when you are distracted and don't have process or competency or something real to fall back on, you fall back on your feelings. Sean, hate to interrupt you, but I think that we exhausted our promise to our listeners. Too long again? We usually go 20 minutes. That's our promise. We're at 45, which I really appreciate. This is wisdom that I can listen to. Can I come back again? I would love that. So if we can have you again, that I think it will make that trio of sort of connecting culture process and maybe a little bit finance and how this all work together. That would be amazing. So, so if we can do that, that would be fantastic. I really appreciate you coming again and then hope to have you here soon. Thanks. Sorry I was so long-winded. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.